Morning, everybody. Whoa. Yeah, we're on. How's that? A little better. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John, we're going to continue on. And John talks about these, um, sort of the self-test in our life. And today we're going to be talking about abiding in, in Christ, as we just sang that song. Um, so we're going to be in uh, 1 John chapter 2. Uh, verses 20 on, but I'm going, to, I'm going to start in the Gospel of John, just the 15th chapter, talking about this abiding, because abiding isn't a word that we use a whole lot today. What does it mean? You know, how, how, do we, uh, how do we relate that? The world today has a lot of false gospel. They have a lot that don't preach the Word of God. They have a lot of compromise that's going on in the churches. And John gives us this challenge about really being true to the truth, the truth of God's word. God's word is always our foundation. And so the Bible is going to talk about abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. And it's a two-way street that goes on here. And so in the Gospel of John 15, these are Jesus' words before we get into John's word. So Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch that is withered, and as they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So we see that Jesus is teaching there about this abiding, about being grafted into him, and he talks about bearing fruit. We would call that works today, that, that we are here to bear fruit. We are here to do the work that Christ has called us to do. Now in the first epistle of John, as we get into the second chapter, we're going to talk about uh, this abiding also as he brings it up. But last week we talked about the Antichrist, big A. That means the guy that's coming, um, that is going to sort of lead the, the one world order. And again, I, I always want to share... You know, the Bible tells us this, that there's a drought coming in this world, and it's not of food or of water, but it's of the word of God. We fail for lack of knowledge of God's word. We need to spend time in God's word. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time in fellowship with one another, because that's how we grow. That's how we recognize the things that God is doing in this world. And so it tells us, too, that he has given us the Holy Spirit in our life. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Some people will try to convince you that there's a special anointings and different things. The Bible never teaches that. Um, we have special gifts. God gives each one gifts to use. But when you are born again believer, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it says that you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in you. And, and we need to work on that in our life. We need to hone that. And we hone that by spending time in God's word. We spend that by time in prayer, not only just talking to God, but listening to God. We uh, hone that by having... Uh, Bible studies and fellowship with one another also. 
So today we're going to talk about this um, uh, preserving our relationship with God, this abiding in, and what does that look like? And so um, as believers in an uncertain world that we live in and we see all the chaos and all the, uh, the mess that is, is going on, and you know it's, it's been since time began, um, the Bible tells us that we do not need to have a, a spirit of fear, but as believers we can have a spirit of, of power and of love and of a sober mind, of a sound mind. And so we don't need to fear the things that are going on in this world. We just need to recognize them, and we need to speak truth into them. And so a lot of what we're reading about today and talking about today is this truth of God's word. And where is that in your life? So we want to preserve this relationship uh, against the spirits of the Antichrist. So the little Antichrist that John talks about are those things that lure us into the world. So, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those are the things that lure us into the world. The world says this is acceptable, this is okay, everybody's doing it, God will understand, and we have all these little analogies to make us feel comfortable in our sin. John really says this isn't it. First John and Second John up to this point says, you know, if you claim to be in the light and walk in darkness, it says that you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So that's not like a pastor saying that, that's not a church saying that. But that's the word of God that says that. And so we need to look at these scriptures and say, what do you do with a scripture like this? What do you do with these scriptures that are um, challenging us in our walk? Many people believe they're Christians because they call themselves Christians. They were raised in the church. Um, could be mainline denominations, could be uh, non-denominational churches. But they think they're a Christian because they go to church or they're on a membership role or maybe because they've been baptized or... Uh, maybe even because they said some prayer. John is going to say, what does your life show? Are you abiding in Christ? So when we talk about abiding in Christ, again, this is a relationship. Our faith and our salvation is not based on a knowledge, but it's based on the experience of Christ in our lives. It's based upon the Holy Spirit in our life. God calling us, us responding and walking in his ways. And so we want to protect ourselves from these antichrists. We want to protect ourselves from the lures of this world, from the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so how do we do that? Well, we do that by knowing what God's word says. And so that which you heard from the beginning, John says a lot of times. That which you have heard from the beginning. Well, what was from the beginning? God's word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was what? God. And it was made manifest unto us. And so we always go back to the foundations, okay? The Word of God needs to be the foundation for all that we do in our lives, as individuals and as a church. And so we, we can't um, mandate these things in the church. We, don't, uh, we can't peer pressure people into these things. God is talking to us about this personal relationship, about Him living in us, us living in Him, walking in His ways, Holding his word is sacred. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. You will do what I tell you to do. If we love him, we are going to want to do what God has called us to do. So that which we have heard from the beginning, and if we walk in that truth, if we walk in the light of God's word, um, it's going to be much harder for us to be led astray. Okay, 
Now, Satan is a great deceiver, right? We talked about that last week. The Antichrist is going to be a great deceiver. He's not going to come as a little red devil with horns in the tail and a pitchfork that we're going to say, oh, there's the devil, stay away from him. He's going to come, as we said, like that vacuum salesman that you said, I'm never going to buy that thing, and when he leaves, you got one in your closet. He's going to be a smooth talker. He's going to be eloquent. He's going to be powerful. What he's going to say is going to appeal to man's intellect, but it's going to be contrary to God's word. It's going to be a lie that is sort of salted with the truth a little bit. And so the more we know about God's word, the more we spend in prayer, the more we are walking in the spirit, the more we're going to be able to recognize those things. And so we need to stand in this, which is from the beginning. Because as humans, we're almost always led to something new, something exciting, something shiny, right? Doesn't that always catch our eyes? Sometimes we look at something that we have and we say, wow, we need a new one. Well, look at this one. It's shiny. It's bright. It's, it's better. And, and we're drawn as humans and attracted to something because it is new. In the world today, there are many churches that are professing new truths. We have new revelations. We have new things that we're seeing and looking at. And we need to always check that against the Word of God. I have a little picture on my phone of the Bible and it just says, this is my fact checker. So whenever I'm doubting something, or ever I have a question about something, if I want to know if something is true or not, the Bible is where I go. I don't go to my understanding, I don't go to my emotions, I don't go to my feelings, because a lot of times we can be led astray from those things. God says we don't even know our own heart, that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Besides God, God knows it. And so we have this standard, we have this truth in God's word that we can always go back to and say, what does God's word say? You know, if I was to die today and it could be on my headstone, I would like maybe that to be said. You know, he always asked, what does God's word say? Because that's the only thing that's important. I've counseled people for years. I've worked in the prison system for 37 years. I've dealt with men and young boys for that whole time. And I get a lot of feelings. I get a lot of emotions. Even in the community when I work with things, there's a lot of uh, emotions or thoughts that can go through my mind. But I always need to go back and say, you know, the only counsel that really matters in this relationship or in any relationship is what does God's word say? Because that is the thing that is eternal. So that which is from the beginning. We stay close to our Bibles. We stay close to the word of God. And we are less likely to fall into sinful uh, traps into sinful patterns into sinful habits um, so if you were a young Christian and you were raised reading the word of God or, or when you came to Christ you spent time in the Bible consider yourself blessed that's where you need to be if you were a Christian and you just have never really taken time to spend time in the Bible you need to get there a lot of people say well, I don't have time I don't understand it I don't you know we have all the reasons why we don't if you're too busy for the Bible, you're too busy. Something else needs to go, not God's word. If you're saying that you're not understanding it, you know, there's a lot of versions that are fairly easy uh, to understand. And even beyond that, when you get into the word of God, you pray to God and say, God, give me some understanding in the word as I read it today. You get involved in Bible studies where other people can share God's word. And you're there looking at it and it will bring light onto those things. And so we need to spend time in God's word. Um, 
So let this abide in you. As we read the, as the scripture was read today um, from, I think it was from 20 on, as we get into like 24, it says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and in the Father. So he's talking about this abiding. And again, he's giving this picture of abiding in him, him, and us. So what does this mean? It doesn't mean just knowing it. It means living it. So in our lives, a lot of us know scriptures. We know the answers to give, right? Somebody asks us a question and we can just, a lot of times, just pop out those scriptures. I share often a, a story when I was up at Lincoln Hills of a young boy that came in, wanted to start Awana's class. And, and as he came in, I, you know, I asked him, what are you doing here? He wanted to tell me about his crime. I, I, I don't want to know about your crime. You know all these scriptures. He said he had over 600 scriptures memorized. I said, what are you doing here? He says, I never applied them to my life. He wasn't abiding in Christ. See, abiding it isn't just knowing what God's word says, but it's living out what God's word says. So when we're living in the simplicity of, of the truth of Jesus Christ, when we're walking in his ways, then we abide in the Son, and he says, in the Father also. So it means walking in the ways of Christ. Peter says this, he has given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. John is going to tell us, when you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, God talks about walking in his pattern, walking in his footsteps. So in our world, we have many people that are searching, and I think they're searching for God. They're searching for answers, regardless. I mean, the last couple of years, there's, there's all sorts of things. I still get bombarded with texts. I still get bombarded with, with emails and things of uh, people trying to uh, make sense out of this chaos. And I just say it's chaos. The world's out of control, but God is in control. So when we put our hope and our, and our thoughts in this world, we're going to be disappointed because it doesn't make sense. And we try to figure it out by worldly standards, by, by man's intellect, and it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And so we don't need to walk in fear. We walk in the truth of God's word, knowing that he holds our life in his hands. And when we're abiding with him and he is in us, we are where we need to be, and we're doing what he has called us to do. And so as all these people are, are searching, guess what? God says for the true believers, he's given us a mission. He's given us a calling. He's given us the answer. And so we can share God's word with them. And so John tells us how. He says, let the message of the apostles, which you heard from the beginning, abide in you. Let his word live in you, and as it's in you, it comes through you. So I'm not just professing Christianity, I'm living Christianity. When people look at me, they don't need to, to you know, see a contrary thing that's coming out of my mouth. That's hypocrisy, right? A lot of people in the church fails at this terribly. The church is, is, is you know, full of, of hypocrites, as the world would say, because they see people professing one thing and they're living another way. You know, somebody once said, you know, if you, if you want to know if uh, the parents are Christians, ask the children. Don't ask the other parishioners, right? Because the kids see what's at home. You know, we need to live our life, not just here in the church, not just when other Christians are around, but we let our light shine before men. And again, churches can get very um, collected. They can get sort of very um, 
country club stylish, right? We like to have studies in the church. We like to have prayer meetings in the church. We like to gather together in the church and, and have our functions. And those are all good and fine. But what about when we leave the church? What about when we're, we're out in the, in the real world doing real things? You know, I've seen a lot of churches and heard this where over their door they'll, they'll post, you are now entering the missions field. See, it's easy to be a Christian when I'm with other Christians. It's easy to be good when I'm with good people. But what about when I'm in the world? What about when I'm at work and, and something doesn't go my way? What about when my wife and I are having a disagreement? What about when something doesn't go and I receive bad news? How do I respond then? Am I responding like a Christian? If I'm abiding in Christ, my chances of doing that are much greater than if I'm not. Now listen, Romans tells us, We've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, none righteous, not one. So we know that we're all sinners, we know that we're all going to fail, but that's not an excuse for staying there. Some people use that as their little, their little uh, banner that, you know, well, I'm not perfect. Are you even trying? Are you trying to abide in Christ? Are you letting him abide in you? Are you in control of your emotions, or is God in control of your emotions? Because when I'm in control of my emotions... I can get bitter, I can get angry, I can get jealous, I can get all these things. But when Christ is in control of my emotions, they're more stable. They're Christ-like. They give me his wisdom and his understanding of things. So not only are we called to abide in him, but we know that he abides in us. So it's a two-way relationship. The effort that I have of abiding in him doesn't even come of my own strength it comes from me depending upon him. Lord, I want to be closer to you. Lord, I want to abide in you closer. Lord, I need strength in this area because I'm weak. Lord, help me guard my mouth. I make the effort, but he gives me the strength. It's like a spotter at the gym. We go to the gym once in a while. you got these guys that are lifting weights. And they're lifting a lot of weight sometimes. And they have somebody there that's just helping in case something, you know, overwhelms them. God is like that in our life. He's called us to do these things. We can do these things, but when we're overwhelmed, he gives us the strength. He's going to pull us out of those things. And so we abide in him. Verse 25, he goes on to tell us this. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. And this eternal life is just not uh, immortality. Do you know that, that all of us, uh, are, in a sense, are immortal? We all have a soul that's going to live for eternity, okay? Either in heaven or in hell. So it depends what side of the fence that you're on. But we're all going to live forever. Every soul is going to live forever. But this eternal life that this promises is not immortality. It's life in him. And so when we're born again, again, we, we are born into him. We abide in him, in him and us. It's like... It's like the mixing of ingredients when you're baking something. They become one. And so all of our eternity is spent in Christ. Those that the lost will never know. Those that are, are going to suffer for all eternity in hell will never know the presence of eternal life in God. The joy, the bliss, the, the, the things that I have, eyes have not seen and, and mind cannot comprehend that God has for us. That's the eternal life that comes in that promise. And so, in our life, we want to be consistent 
in what God has called us to do. We want to be steadfast in our walk with him. And so he's referring again back to this anointing that he has given us in verses 26 and 27. And this is the, well, and this is the promise, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. So he tells us people are going to try to deceive us. That's the little antichrist. That's the world. The world doesn't want us to succeed in our Christian walk. You know, our lives are to be a contrast to the world. Okay? We don't need to, we don't need to be an abrasion. We don't need to try to be an abrasion. But have you ever noticed that, even in our life, when, when we're doing something wrong and, and we know that we shouldn't and we're in the presence of somebody that knows we shouldn't be doing wrong, how, how we just sort of melt away? The world is like that. When we look at the holiness of Christ, when we look at the holiness of God's word, you know, I as a pastor, as a Christian for many years, when I look at the holiness of God and his word, I mean, I stand in awe of it and I stand, you know, like, oh Lord, I fall short in so many ways. But I know that I abide with him and I know that I have his promise with me. And I know that he is the one that sustains me. The world that is lost does not have that. And the world wants to be comfortable in their sin. And I want to even say many Christians want to be comfortable in their sin. They just want to do what they want to do and they sort of want God to fit into their life. They want to take God's word and and have it conform into the things that they want to do instead of reading God's word and conforming their life into God's word. We get it all wrong sometimes. And so he says, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. We have that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is live and active in us. It says, my spirit testifies with his spirit. My conscience, my, my soul conscience testifies. When I'm doing something or saying something or have an attitude that's wrong, if his Holy Spirit is truly in me, it's convicting me of those things, saying you've got to change. Something has to change because this is not the way that God would have you to be. So it says it abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but that same anointing teaches you all concerning all things and is true and is not a lie just as it is taught you you abide in him so as we walk and as the spirit leads us we're walking in the ways of Christ Jesus says why do you call me Lord Lord and do not the things I tell you to do if you love me you will do what I command he gives us many of these things that that put the weight of us To say, I want to be in the presence of Christ. Shouldn't our desire as Christians be to be as close to Christ as we can? Shouldn't we wake up every morning just saying, Lord, I want to be closer to you today than I was yesterday. But many times we wake up and just sort of get on our own path and just say, well, I'm busy today and Lord, if I have time, I will fit you in somewhere. John brings up a very challenging image in the last couple verses here. He says, and now little children, abide in him. He's talking to the church here. He's talking to those that he's discipled. He's talking to those that he has brought up in the word. He says, now little children, abide in him. Live in him. Walk in him. Do what he says. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He's telling us that there's two things that can happen with the believer. When Christ comes, we can have confidence or we can be ashamed when he comes. 
If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. When Jesus returns, some people are going to be in fear. They're going to be afraid because they have never known him. I mean, it's going to be a, an awesome thing when Christ returns. We're not going to, you know, our minds can't even really comprehend that. But there's going to be many that are going to be afraid because they never knew Jesus at all. But amongst those that know him, there are going to be those that are going to be ashamed, at least for a moment, at his coming. They're going to realize that they have been living worldly. That they have lost opportunities. Now you're sitting there saying, well, we've all had lost opportunities. That's right. I look back at my life, I can look back every day and say, I've missed those opportunities, but my prayer to God is, Father, I don't want to miss those opportunities again. Father, forgive me if I was supposed to say something and I didn't say something. See, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But they're going to realize that they have been living worldly, unfruitful lives. John 15 talks again about he's going to prune us. That we can bear much fruit. Are you bearing much fruit in your life? In one moment the understanding will overwhelm them. That no matter what else you accomplished in this life. Whatever else that you have done. You did not abide in him the way that you could have. And that really needs to be a motivating factor in the believer's life. Is that we want to abide in him fully, continually. Paul says that there are those that are, are barely saved. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, I believe it says that, that he himself will be saved as yet through the fire. Barely saved, can you imagine that? We have all sorts of pictures of what that, that may look like. But it's important for us to carefully consider these matters because it's difficult in our minds, it's difficult in our lives to really measure the distance between barely being saved and almost being saved. Are you walking that fine line? My personal belief is churches are filled this morning with people that believe they're saved. But they're not abiding in Christ, and Christ is not abiding in them. They're living the worldly life, they're living the fleshly life. They have no conviction of what Christ would have for them. Their life is their life. And they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power Of the Holy Spirit in their life. It's hard to tell the distance between barely saved and almost saved. People have different views of things. It's dangerous to really toss around the question in our mind of of how little can I do and still make it to heaven. And yet a lot of people are there. What's the least amount I can do and still make it to heaven? You know, they called it fire insurance. Sometimes when when I was young and I would hear about altar calls and say, oh, you need the fire insurance, you need to say this prayer so you don't go to hell. And, and they'd come and they'd say this prayer and they just continued to live the way that they wanted to. That's not salvation. It's not salvation according to God's word. God says well, when you give your life to him and you give your heart to him, things are changed in your life. Behold, old things have passed away, all things become new. You have a new attitude, a new outlook. You have new ways of thinking, and then, of course, some of these things take time. It may not be instantaneous, but there's a transformation. We no longer walk in the ways of the world, but our heart and our desire is towards Christ. How little can I do and still make it to heaven? Is that your 
thought? Is that your action? Is that your behavior? How far can I stray from the shepherd and still be part of the flock? Is that where you're at in your life, in your Christian walk? It shouldn't be there. It should be, I want to be so close to him. I want to be like them little chicks under that hen that when it rains, she fluffs up her wings and them little birds just come right on under there. They're that close. Instead, we should be diligent not to be ashamed before him at his coming. Do you look at your behavior? Do you look at your actions? Do you look at at the things that comprise you of who you are? And could you really say that if Christ returned today, that you'd be proud of the things you're doing? Proud of the things that you're entertaining in your life at this very moment. And if you say, no, I'd be ashamed of those things, then those things need to go. The Bible says we need to be faithful in confessing those things and repenting of those things and giving those things back to him that we can be a bright light in this world. So what's the way we prepare for Christ's coming? Well, the only spiritual prescription is just this. We abide in him. We walk in him. Now we know in this world that, that we are fleshly. We know in this world that we have the things of this world that, that tug at us and, and that we're, we do fail. But what's your desire in your heart? And if it's truly your desire and if you truly believe it, it changes your behavior. I always tell people that. If you truly believe something, it, it changes your behavior. If you truly believe that Jesus died for your sins and, and came for you, it's going to change your behavior. Jesus gave us all on the cross. He gave us all for those that would accept and those that wouldn't accept. And he said, it is finished. He gave it all. Why are we so content to give God morsels of our life, morsels of our prayers, morsels of our time? We need to abide in him. We abide in his faith that he has given us. We abide in his truth. We abide by following his example. You want to learn how to live a life? Just read the Gospels. You're not going to find it in, in a church doctrine, or at least not the good ones. You're not, you're not going to find it by some pastor just telling you how to live. Go read the Gospels. Look at how Jesus dealt with people. And he says, you do the same. You make him your dwelling place. That's what abide means. He's your dwelling place. And so when you do those things, when the time comes and the Lord is there, you're ready to welcome him. You don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to hide. You don't need to fear. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. We don't need to worry about that because we're abiding in him. And our confidence is in him and him alone. It's not in my health. It's not in my bank account. It's not in the things that I can accomplish in this world. The only things that have eternal weight for me are the things that are done in Christ Jesus. Those are the only things I'm ever going to have a reward for in heaven. Are the things that were done in Christ Jesus. I could build cities. 
I could be a millionaire. I could have all these things. What does it say? I could, I could give my body to be burned, but if it's not done with love, and that love is the love of Christ that's abiding in him, it says it profits me nothing. The idea of living in Jesus is so important that Jesus promised this in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Listen to that. He wants to make his home with you. If anyone loves me, Jesus says. And time and time, again, in the scriptures, he talks about loving him. Paul expresses this idea in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell is a Greek word for a permanent home. Christ wants to reside in your life permanently. He wants to settle down in your heart, not just visit you as a stranger. You know, there was a track that I remember a long time ago. It was called Every Room for Christ. It sort of went through, and it was like God coming into our life. And What's here? Oh, no, Lord, no, not here, not here. And we do that in our lives sometimes. We don't give God our all. Many of us have not humbled ourselves to that point of really giving it all to Christ. We are so conditioned in this world to have a controlled environment, to be in control, to make sure I'm in control of my emotions and my feelings and, and the circumstances that go around me that we've never really yielded it all to Christ. And until we do, Christ cannot make his home in our heart. Every room needs to be for Christ. Do you abide in Him? Or do you just visit Him once in a while? Is He a part of your everyday routine throughout the day as you're going on? Or do you just think about Him on a Tuesday morning or a Sunday morning? Is Christ abiding in you and are you abiding in Him? As we've gone through this chapter 2, there are three precious claims really for the Christian that, that we can take away from this if we are abiding in him. And one is, I know him. Jesus tells us that. You know him if you're walking in the light as he is in the light. You can know him, you can have that personal relationship with him when you as the second promise says, abide in him and him in you. Don't be deceived. We are self-deceivers. We can talk ourselves into about everything. He who says that he walks in the light and yet is walking in darkness, John says, is a liar and the truth is not in him. He says, I can know him. I don't just need to know about him. I can know him. I can have that personal relationship with him. I can abide in him. And he's going to abide in me. And how do I know that? Because his spirit testifies with my spirit. He loves me enough not to let me get away with my own ways. He brings me to the point where I need to be that he'll, he'll break me and bring me to that point of submission in his life. You know, sometimes you see that old picture of, of Jesus with the sheep around his neck. Remember that? And 
the thought used to be this with the shepherd is that if he had a a, a lamb or a, a, an older sheep that was rebellious it was part of his flock but that sheep would rebel go do his own thing that he had to deal with that sheep otherwise that sheep was going to teach other sheep to do the same thing and the shepherd was faced with two choices to destroy that sheep or a lot of times he would dislocate its leg and then what that did is that sheep was right by the shepherd at all times. And that shepherd would be the one responsible for feeding and watering that sheep until it healed. And in the meantime, that sheep would learn its dependence upon Christ or upon the shepherd. I'm going to liken this to us. Many times God in our life, he's going to hobble us. Because we're off on our own agenda, off on our own things, doing the things that... And we think we're fooling everybody in this world. We're great masqueraders. But he hobbles us until our dependence is fully on him. And the shepherd would find out by the time that that sheep healed that that sheep was dependent upon that shepherd. And he wouldn't stray anymore. We can abide in him. The third principle is that we are in the light. When we walk in the light... As he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We can be in this light that God has provided us. See, our little country club churches, many times, you know, we're all like, uh, you know, 60 watt bulbs. Maybe there's a couple hundred watt bulbs in here. And, and we're all in brightness all the time, and it's, it's sort of easy. But when we go out into the darkness, which is the world, that's where our light needs to shine. That's where the biggest light makes a difference. John wants us to know that if these statements are true, if what John has said up to this point is true, it's going to show in our lives. Is it showing in your life? Let's close.